Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Here is Dr. Michael Rogers, Pastor Emeritus. Good evening. It's good to greet you and be with you tonight. Thankful to Pastor Chris for the invitation to be here to bring a message as your emeritus pastor. I was sitting here reminiscing while I listened to all of your good praises. Haven't been in this pulpit for a little while, although I spent 25 years in it, morning and evening. Uh, there's a few things that I'm delighted to see are still the same. One is, uh, and I'll just mention two. One is a little plaque. If you've never seen this, you're welcome sometime after service to come up here and look. There's a little plaque that I had made that's glued to the pulpit, a little metal plate, and it has inscribed on it the words of John 12, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's what your preacher is faced with every Sunday as a request before you. The other, the other thing interesting that's, that just struck me as being still the same surprisingly, is the throw rug I'm standing on. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the artistry that went into this place when we built it, the beautiful table was custom made by a Mennonite woodworker in Strasbourg, and the beautiful chandeliers were handmade and everything. And you'd think, boy, they just blew the budget in every category to get beauty and artistry. Well, the throw rug I'm standing on, I know, I bought at Kmart for $3.99. Some reason I remember that. I'm asking you to share tonight in reading with me, if you don't keep your hymnal or get your hymnal again, turn to page 811 in the very back. You'll find Psalm 73. Psalm 73 printed as a responsive reading. Uh, You may be dismayed to know that... uh, We've already been here more than half an hour, and I'm not ready for the sermon until you read this whole psalm with me. Uh, It's not humongously long, but it is a little bit long. I'm really preaching on the whole psalm. There is not just one or two verses. And I thought one good way to kind of draw you into that is to have you help read it. So I will read the light print, and you please read the bold print of Psalm 73. Surely... God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They saw and see with malice, and their Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. They say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? 
Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and in vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been blessed. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? I'm not getting my page turned here. What's going on? Read it for me. Read the remainder for me, please. My page is stuck. Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. As for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all of your Lord, lead us, give us the insight of your spirit to what was happening in the heart of this man so many centuries ago. Lead us and bring in us the same revolution of faith that he saw, we pray. Amen. Well, Asaph was the name of the gentleman who wrote this psalm. This is a dividing point in the Psalms, this 73rd Psalm, and he wrote at least the remaining 10 after this. So next to David, Asaph was a court musician in Israel. You can think of him as our choir leader and organist, kind of wrapped in one maybe. Uh, a man who certainly thought about spiritual life and went through the ups and downs of living before God and leading worship a man who could command the peal of trumpets and the clash of cymbals to praise his God and the God of Israel, and did so with excellence, especially in the court of King Solomon. And you would imagine a man like this was chosen for his post because he was not only skilled as a musician, but he was a great believer in the Lord God, and he worshiped God in his everyday life, I'm sure. This dedicated servant of God had enjoyed a vibrant prayer life. As a choir leader, I could imagine his rich baritone voice lifted up above the other folks and uh, leading them in worship. I would imagine a man like Asaph was, with the qualifications he would have needed, was someone who walked steadfastly with the Lord daily and hourly with his soul constantly treading on the heights 
of heavenly bliss. Right? Aren't all church employees walking in a 100% perfect walk with God all the time? I won't answer for our music department. I, I admire them too much to put them on the spot. But if you imagine that that is the way servants of God, whether preacher or a musician, walks in the 20th century, 21st century, that we never have throes of depression or difficulty or feeling laid aside or, or just not figuring things out. If you think that, you're wrong. You're very wrong. And those who serve the Lord in his temple or his church are people who also let things get out of hand sometimes, as Asaph had done before the writing of this psalm. He let his low spirits here hang out just about completely in Psalm 73. This spiritual leader admitted that he definitely was not prepared to come to Westminster for Thanksgiving Eve service and jump to the microphone and give a testimony. He would have cowered in the back row somewhere and hoped that nobody was calling on him, I think. Because here he was admitting, if we wanted to sort of put it in a blunt way and not so gracious language, Asaph was saying, folks, recently my feet have just about slipped altogether from the mountain of God and my spiritual life stinks. And that's all I have to say about it. Here's a man in full complaint against God, at least at the beginning of the psalm. He does work his way through it. But we ask, what was his problem? Well, Psalm 73, 1 to 14, if I would give it a heading, I would say it's an honorable man confused by God's treatment of scoffing scoundrels. God, why are you treating sinners who hate you so good and treating me so poorly. Some of the most wonderful language of the Old Testament is found in this section of verses 4 to 12 as he describes the people that he's jealous about, those who don't honor God, those who don't know God and seem to care. Just, just look, have your Bible open there and look at some of the language, wonderful language at those who are literally cursing the Lord either in word or with their life. They have no pangs until death. They never have a pain until the day they die, he's saying. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out. They scoff and speak with malice. They set their mouths against the heavens. They say, how can your God know? They're always at ease, and they only increase in riches. Wow. This guy is really out of adjustment, isn't he? He sees every good thing falling upon those who oppose God and oppose him. And, you know, I think today as I was dwelling on what kind of people he might have had in mind, I thought, well, wait a minute, we've got plenty of examples. The leader of communist China, greatest wealth in all the world and a country determined to say that the West will die and will be crushed under their weight. The leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, the leader of North Korea, a strutting joke of a dictator who nevertheless can't be taken completely as a joke because he could push a button 
and send a missile to Lancaster. He can do it, and he'd love to do it. How about a terrorist gang of thugs called Hamas, brutally attacking Israel? How about the LGBT theorists and practitioners who tell us that we have to have books in our children's libraries at school and the way locker rooms are laid out are all wrong? And we look and say that our own community is experiencing these things. And here's Asaph, the righteous man, wailing, especially in verses 13 and 14, as he says, compared to all of the crooks, the racists, the blasphemers, the atheists, why look at poor old me. In vain, he says, I have kept my heart clean. And yet look at these people, they're getting everything. In vain have I been a good guy. And God has rebuked me. For what reason? Well, this man was troubled by two really basic questions that plague godly people in every century. The questions are, why do so many good things seem to happen to bad people? And you see, they're also the football teams that beat the Buffalo Bills, the bad people. Excuse me. Sorry, Eagles fans. Why do so many good things happen to bad people? Well, terrible things pile up against the morally good believers who trust in the Lord. Don't we think, too, that a just God should immediately strike down with fire and brimstone those who ignore his word? That he should correspondingly bless all people who trust in Christ as Lord immediately and, and overabundantly? This believer is full of raw honesty, isn't he? from a man trying to cope with the brutal fact that the Lord's ways simply are not always our ways. Well, thank goodness there's a second main section of Asaph's psalm, and I'll be moving through it pretty quickly here. Psalm 73, 18 to 22, shows the confident man of faith now starting to turn from his perplexity to a new focus on what? on what's after this world, a new focus on eternity. And Asaph paused for a long, hard look, and he started praying, I think, about his difficulty and re-examined it until his mind woke up and he started to think about final destinies of these people he so briefly admired. And he realized that the after-death state of these people would be a hell of endless woe. Here he's been looking at them through the wrong end of a telescope and they appeared so large, so grand, so great like the balloons floating down Macy's parade tomorrow morning. All out of proportion of anything you're ever going to actually meet. But he said, oh, why, why look at these people, they're so great. Well, it only takes a 10-inch nail driven in the right place to bring down a Macy's parade balloon char character. And he began to realize that. The light of ultimate truth began to dawn on Asaph as he looked on fellow believers gathered beside him in Sabbath worship. They were the solid people, the lasting people, the, the real people. As verse 17 states, he realized when I went into the sanctuary of God, 
the whole issue started to come into focus. Folks, you know a good reason for you to be in your church every Sunday as often as you possibly can? There, there, there's a leavening effect, an osmosis effect on a believer in, in Christ coming to worship week after week, Sunday after Sunday, coming to the other ministries of the church, maybe being with a small group or a Sunday school class or just a friendship with other folks who love Christ. And Sunday to Sunday, you talk to these people and rub shoulders in the worship service and sing the songs side by side. And you learn from other saints of the Lord that many of the much envied human idols you thought were doing so greatly in this world shrink down and they begin to look through others' eyes like insects smashed on the windshield of life and nothing more. They're temporary phantoms. And your fellow believers will help you see that. Because some of them are farther ahead in their faith walk than you are. Surprise. This past week, the network TV news bemoaned the death of a star actor from a long-running sitcom program that I never watched. And I had no prior opinion, really, about this man. He was a handsome guy. Died rather young. Early 50s is rather young, if you don't know. Tributes were said to be pouring in from the elites of Hollywood about this man and his fine talents. I was watching with interest because I was learning. I didn't know anything about this guy. And my goodness, why did they have him inflated to a huge degree? And then somewhere just as a little byline before the, the report closed out, I learned, oh, his death was due to long-term drug abuse. Well, I'm not the man's judge. I'm not the judge of his soul, so don't misunderstand me. But I just ask the question, who really envies his stardom now? Final results tell a lot. And so we come to the third part of Psalm 73, and now 18 to 22, where we get the recovery of sight by Asaph. He's ready to confess his wrong thinking. And he says, Lord, you set these people whose existence troubled me so much in slippery places. I see now they'll be destroyed in a moment. Oh, my great God, to you I must have sounded like a braying donkey. A wounded animal caught in a trap probably makes more intelligent prayer sounds than I have uttered towards you in my days of doubt about this situation. You see what worship with God's congregation did for Asaph? Six days of looking through the world's goggles at people and their greatness and their power and their threats and their unbelief and the millions that they earn when we're struggling along financially. All this only poured ashes on Asaph's estimation of eternal things. But when he thinks ahead, he thinks, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God's people are going to know the heights of glory and the warmth of fellowship in his presence. And you could apply Paul's thought in Romans 12 too here of our being transformed by the renewing of our minds as the demons that clouded this Christian's thinking temporarily are now being wiped clean as the Spirit of God works in him. And so we come to the fourth section of Psalm 73. You didn't think I could get here that fast, did you? Verses 23 to 28. 
I call this faith's new foothold upon the rock of ages. Here's, here's an interesting little thing. Maybe you'll think it's nothing. I think it's something. In planning our service tonight, I desire to have all of you join in reading the entire psalm as perhaps the best way to get you involved in it and thinking through it. And I felt, well, okay, I remember there's responsive psalms in the back of the hymnal. I could have them read that psalm, which I did, and you did. Now, there is just a small problem. Because the Bible translation that's in the hymnal, I forgot, is the New International Version, which is a fine Bible translation, especially in its earlier version before the 1990s. The NIV is, is not a translation I have a, a, an argument to take up with. But that is the version here, so that at the beginning of verse 23, it reads, Yet I am continually with you, Lord. Well, that's okay. It certainly describes the meaning, but it's a little weaker in the impact it makes than what you have in the English Standard Version that we have used as a standard here in our church for quite a while now, a number of years. Because there, this wonderful word, it's actually three words spliced together. Nevertheless, nevertheless says a whole lot more. That's, that's a three-stranded cable as opposed to a one-stranded cable yet. And I consulted a great authority on the value of words in this. My wife helped me with this. Uh, yet, in a game of Scrabble, is worth six points. <laughs> Nevertheless, in Scrabble, is worth 18 points. Now, that's not exactly a theological recommendation, but it illustrates, it illustrates the idea of what is being said here. Nevertheless means in spite of. The, the, the strongest opposition to the way I used to think as could possibly be said, in spite of all that wrong thinking about God, yet I belong to you, Lord, and you will take me into glory. Nevertheless, I prefer the stronger word in the English Standard Version because it says radically different than the way man naturally thinks. I have the ultimate security summarized forever, the unmatched presence and power of the splendid Lord God of hosts over against anything this world offers as a substitute for knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Not human fame, not an opposing army that can unleash missiles, not a billionaire's fortune that can compel him who holds me fast today, that he will take me to glory because of the goodness and greatness of himself. John Newton, you know, as both a pastor and a hymn writer, I checked the date. He composed this hymn in 1779, which was right at the time of America's being born in rebellion to England, just after it. In 1779, John Newton wrote a hymn you know, Savior, if of Zion's city, I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in your name. Nevertheless, glory in your name. Fading is the worldling's treasure. 
all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting pleasure none but Zion's children know. Thank you, John Newton, for a wonderful sermon in a song. Folks, I close by telling you, I've been speaking to you from my life passage, my life psalm and my life passage. In 1977, I was a young pastor going through a time of confusion in my calling. I'd been a pastor full-time for several years. I was dealing with a corrupt and liberal denomination, trying to figure out if God wanted me out of it or in it as a witness. And I came up against Psalm 73, 23 to 26, one day. I can remember the day very well, where I was, how I felt, as these verses said to me, Nevertheless, all the things that oppose you, my God is with me. My God holds me. He will not let go of me. And decades later, I stand firm on that life passage. Perhaps tonight, you will take your stand with me upon the rock of ages. He will not let us slip, I promise. Father, thank you so much for Asaph, for a musician with an open heart who was willing to admit things that might have disqualified him in the eyes of some people. If he was a preacher, they might have shouted him out of the temple. But Father, you do so many things that are in direct diametrical contradiction to the world's greatness, to the world's power, to the world's imaginations that it has all of these new things happening that the computers are going to take over and man himself and his humanity is going to be quashed, that locker rooms are for anybody who wants to be in it, that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, that nations can be invaded and squashed by the ignition of rockets. Father, we're a fearful people, but we want to be a grateful people, a worshiping people. And so we say, my flesh and my heart has failed. Nevertheless, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.